Well, hi, everyone. Good to be with you today. You know, in recent months, a lot has been made about whether people matter. And the message that seems to be coming through loud and clear is that people don't, that people don't matter. Several months ago, there was a homeless man sleeping on the street. About 4 a.m. in the morning, an individual approached him as he was sleeping, lit some fireworks, and threw it on him. The entire incident was caught on video camera, and then he went running away, scurrying away with a big smile on his face. And the 66-year-old homeless man had to be hospitalized with burns to his body. This is Hana Kimura. Hana was found dead in her apartment in May with a plastic bag over her head. She was a pro wrestler, and she appeared on Netflix's popular reality show, Terrace House. In the weeks leading up to her death, she would receive up to 100 online hate messages a day because of her appearance on Terrace House. She was criticized for her lack of femininity, her outgoing personality. Uh, she was called out for having dark skin. She was called a gorilla. And worst of all, cyber bullies told her to go and die. And so she did. So did 15-year-old Nigel Shelby. His mom said he was a born entertainer, the light of her life. He was also gay, and he was bullied relentlessly by his classmates, and it was more than he can bear, so he took his own life. So what's good? I mean, is there any good in the world today? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we launched a new series here at our church called What's Good?, and one of the reasons we decided to do this series is because we realize that in these days when, when the world seems to be getting darker and the world seems to be getting colder, we realize that there is still some good in the world. And the reason we know that is because we've seen it right here in our own church. And so that's what we're talking about throughout this series. And, and if you need a dose of inspiration, I want to encourage you to Keep coming back and keep checking with us for the next few weeks and, and even today. Stay with us and I hope that you will be encouraged by what you have to hear. So you might want to grab a Bible. Grab a Bible if you have one. If you have our app, then open that up. And if you don't have it, you can go to the Play Store and get it, South Bay Community Church. Just look that up and you'll get it. And I think you'll, you'll find it helpful as we go through the message today. It'll help you to track. So before we get started, I want to open up our time in a word of prayer. And I want to op open up by praying for the election on Tuesday because I know that's probably been on your mind a lot. And I just want to assure you that, uh, that you have nothing to worry about. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. The results of the election have been preordained by God. He knows who's going to win. And I can assure you that God is not freaking out, maybe like some of you are. Uh, perhaps you're thinking uh, that you're going to move to another country. Well, I can assure you that God is not thinking that if Joe Biden wins or if Donald Trump wins, he's going to move to another universe. God is not going to do that. He's not thinking that at all. God is in control. He really is in control, and that's his job. Our job is to pray and to participate in the electoral process by voting, and most importantly, by, as God's children, by being a light, the light of Jesus uh, in this dark world, all right? So let's pray together, and, and then we'll unpack the message for today. Well, Father, thank you so much for 
bringing us together one more time just to open up your word, to worship and, and to be together, even though we're still not able to meet in person. Father, thank you for the, for the medium of, of the internet that allows us to, to be able to reach people and, and to do church as best we can. And Father, today as we, as we, uh, as we gather before uh, another national election, I know it has just been something that has really uh, pre- preoccupied many of us. As, as I think everyone in this, in this uh, country, everyone, regardless of which side they're on, is, is deeply concerned for the future of our country. Everyone in our, here loves our country. And Father, we want to commit the results of this to you. Father, we thank you that you are a, a great and sovereign God and that you're not losing sleep over you know, the next few days and the results. Father, we pray for you to reign supreme, that your will will be done, that the man that you want to lead our country will be placed in this position. And Father, I pray that you would in every way be with both presidential candidates that you would have your way with them as well. And Father, I pray that you would have your way with us, that we would not become emotional and re- react, uh, be reactive in any way. I pray that you would fill us with your peace. I pray that you would help us to be prayerful after the election, to pray for whoever wins, that you know, our country would, would, be, would prosper and that would live in peace under our, our leaders. So God, we commit that to you. We leave it in your hands. Father God, help us. Um, and I'm so proud of our church for the way that they have responded uh, in so far as what I see online. And I just pray that you would help us to be uh, the light of the world to all those around us. Speak to us today, Father. And yes, you know, may, may peace in our communities reign even after the election. Protect uh, our first responders. Protect our homes and businesses. And uh, we commit all this to you. And again, I ask right now that you would speak to each and every one of us. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A while back, there was a young couple who got married. And the, the, the groom decided to surprise his bride by, um, without her knowledge, arranging for some of the students in her class to be the ring bearers at the ceremony. And so I want to show you on video the moment her ring bearers came forth to bring the rings for the couple. Take a look at this.
did you need a tissue for that one? Wasn't that great? Yeah, she had no idea that her husband-to-be arranged all of that. You see, she teaches at a school for uh, special needs children, and all of the students in her class have Down syndrome. And uh, you want to know what's good? What's good is that there are still people in the world today who think that other people matter, that other people matter. You know, after my wife Cheryl uh, got pregnant many, many years ago now, um, the doctor told her that they wanted to run some tests to determine whether or not uh, our child might, our baby might have any kind of a disability. It was just a standard routine test, I, I believe. Wanted to know if our ch- baby might have any kind of a disability, including Down syndrome. And the underlying assumption of that test is that babies with disabilities don't matter as much as babies without disabilities. That's the underlying presumption. And, you know, the doctor said, if, therefore, if we find out that your child has a disability, we can terminate your pregnancy through an abortion. Of course, that would have, was never an option for us, never would be. But that's kind of where the world is today. That's the world's mantra. If you've got a disability, you don't matter. If you're poor, you don't matter. If your skin is a certain color, you don't matter. If you're young, you don't matter. If you're a teenager, you don't matter. If you're old, you don't matter. If you're homeless, you don't matter. If you don't have a college education, you don't matter. If you're a little bit different, then you don't matter. And we see that message disseminated into our culture every single day by the actions and attitudes of the people around us. You don't matter. And let me tell you this. It's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. It is a lie because the truth is you do matter. You matter. And all you need to do is read the Bible. All you need to do is read the Gospels. The Gospels would be the four, first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels is an account of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the message that he constantly conveyed to those around him was that people matter. And Matthew chapter 8, which is the first, Matthew is the first gospel, there's an extraordinary interaction which takes place in the town of Capernaum, uh, which is located on the Sea of Galilee. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, and while you're doing that, let me set, set it all up for you. Capernaum uh, served as the kind of the base of operation for Jesus' ministry. He did much of his ministry out of there. Peter's house was located there, right on, really right on the Sea of Galilee. And just a short distance from his house was a synagogue. And by the way, Jesus lived with Peter in that house. And so that was his base of operations. You know, when a group of us uh, visited Israel last November, one year ago, uh, we visited Peter's house. We saw it, and we also visited the synagogue, which was just a few uh, short feet away from Peter's house. Here we are in this photo, uh, sitting in the ruins of that synagogue where Jesus often taught. And here we are listening to our tour guide, Roman. Now take a look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And it says here, when he entered Capernaum, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. You can stop right there. So get this, Jesus came to Capernaum 
which was his base of operations, and he was approached by a centurion. Would you underline or circle the word centurion? A centurion was a commander in the Roman army. He might have looked like this, decorated and pretty fancy with all, all armored up. A centurion commanded uh, anywhere from 100 to 200 men. To the Jews, the centurion was the bad guy, the epitome of the bad guy because he worked for the Romans. He was an officer in the Roman army, and, he was, and they were the occupiers of their land. So they were not very popular or well-liked. In Luke's account of this story, we learn something about the centurion that's not found in Matthew chapter 8. So flip over to Luke chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 7 in verse 2. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. You can stop right there. According to Luke, this is the very same pa passage, except it was written by Luke, the very same centurion. But according to Luke, this centurion built a synagogue. He may have built the very synagogue that we were sitting in a year ago. Now, here's what was going on. Back at home, this Roman centurion had a servant. And Luke chapter 7, verse 2, circle the word servant. This is the Greek word doulos. Now, for those of you who are wondering, who are new to our church, the reason why I'm telling you it was written in Greek is because Luke was written in Greek just as the rest of the New Testament was written in Greek. And the New Testament, uh, written in Greek, is, is translated. We have an English Bible. It's translated uh, from the Greek into English. And sometimes the English uh, doesn't translate uh, accurately the Greek. And so we look at the Greek occasionally to see what the real meaning of the word is. And, and that's the case here. The word servant is, is the word doulos. And, and it means, in the Greek, it means bond slave. Bond slave, and it appears here, you can't tell this from the English, but it appears here in the masculine form, which means that the slave was a man or was a male. And doulos referred to someone without any ownership rights of his own. In other words, the centurion owned this guy like he owned property. He owned him like he owned property. Furthermore, the centurion's slave was really sick. Matthew says that he was paralyzed and suffering terribly. Luke said that he was sick to the point of death. I mean, the guy was in bad shape. The slave was in bad shape. Now, when I read this, and I've read this before, I wondered, this is what went on in my mind. I wondered what was going on in this guy's head. I'd never wondered that before, but for whatever reason, this time as I read this passage, I wondered what was going on in the slave's head as he, I wondered what he was thinking as he lay there dying, deathly sick. I, I wondered how he felt. Uh, and I wondered whether he wondered if he felt like he mattered at all. I wondered that because when we go through hard times, when we go through hard times, it's easy to begin to think that we don't matter. Like God doesn't care. Like we're all alone in this world. You know, as some of you know, I, I didn't get married till later in life. And uh, 
by the time I got married, all my friends, all my close friends had gotten married already. And, and every time they got married, I, I, every time one of my friends got married, I was always happy for them. But going to their wedding was another thing. Going to their wedding as a single eye, when, when all of your friends are married, was like, like having a, a dagger pierce my heart. Um, ever feel that way? It's tough. And you can, you can feel like you don't matter uh, when bad things happen to you as well. If you get cancer, it's easy to feel like you don't matter. If you're going through a divorce, uh, it's so easy to feel like you don't matter. If your parents yell at you, so easy to think that you don't matter because you can't hang out with your friends. You don't feel like you matter. If you can't find a job, so easy to feel like you don't matter. If you, if you can't find a place to live or if you're homeless, if you live all by yourself, it's so easy to feel like you don't matter. If you struggle with an addiction, no one else struggles with you. You feel like you don't matter. If you can't get pregnant, you feel like you don't matter. And these days, it's so easy to feel like you don't matter. And thus, I wondered how the slave, the sick slave must have felt. Well, when the centurion heard about Jesus and what he could do and what he had done and that he was in Capernaum, he asked, he asked Jesus to come and heal him because he cared about him. And to make a long story short, that's exactly what he did. Jesus healed him. He healed him even though this slave was at the very bottom of the social pecking order. He did it. He healed him, even though in the world's eyes, he was only a slave. He was just a slave. And why did he do it? He did it simply because he mattered. The slave mattered. The servant mattered. And this is just one of many examples where Jesus heals someone because he mattered or she mattered. In Matthew 15, verse 30, it says, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. You know, it wasn't just slaves and sick people that mattered to Jesus. Prostitutes and tax collectors mattered to him, and people of all races mattered to him, like the Samaritan woman. Even the thief on the cross mattered to Jesus. And it wasn't just men, but it was women. And it wasn't just men and women, it was children. Everyone mattered to God. Why? Because God loves people. God loves people. That is who he is. The next verse, 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Will you underline that? God is love or circle that. God is love. And if you jump down to verse 16 in that same chapter, it says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God loves you. The love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see, God is love. There it is one more time. Circle that again. God is love. God loves you. God loves you, and God is love. That is who he is. Love is who he is. I mean, everything that God is can be summed up in that four-letter word, L-O-V-E, love. God is love, and that's why you matter to God, because he loves you. And you can write that one down. I matter to God because he loves me. And it doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a servant. It doesn't matter if you've never been married. It doesn't matter if you have Down syndrome. It doesn't matter if you're 95 years old and you live all alone. It doesn't you matter no matter what. You matter no matter what. And that's the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite of what we're used to. We're not accustomed to that. You know what we're accustomed to? 
here's what we're accustomed to. I matter as long as you have feelings for me, then I matter. As long as you have feelings for me, then I matter. I matter as long as I don't make you mad. As long as you're happy with me, then I matter to you, don't I? I matter as long as, as we agree. But as soon as we disagree, I don't matter. I, I matter as long as I give you money. And as soon as I don't give you money, I don't matter to you. It's all conditional. That's what the world's like. It's all conditional. And the moment you hurt me, the moment you offend me, the moment we don't agree, the moment, the moment you don't give me money, the moment you don't meet my needs, then it's forget it. It's, it's all over, baby. It's all over. You don't matter to me anymore. And that's the way the world is. But that's not the way Jesus is. In Jesus' economy, you matter no matter what. You matter no matter what. You know, the other day, I received a text from someone, a really special couple in our church, and, and they wanted to give me and Cheryl some pajamas. They wanted to give us some pajamas, and I have to admit, they were some of the coolest pajamas I've ever seen in my life because they were Star Wars PJs. Here's a picture she sent me. She says, I want to get you these pajamas, and it was emblazoned with images of Darth Vader, Yoda, and a stormtrooper and a Christmas tree. And so she even texted me a, a size chart so I could let her know what sizes to get for me and Cheryl. And I texted her back right away. I, I texted her back right away and I said, please, please don't get us anything, right? Don't get us anything. And, and you know, I, she might have been hurt by that, but I said, really, don't, don't get us anything. And I, I told her, just, just the thought, just the thought that you and your husband would want to get us these cool-looking Star Wars pajamas um, made, was just all we needed, and it, it just made us feel like we mattered. You know, the reason why we know that we matter is because of the gift that God gave to us. He gave us a gift, and that's why we can feel like we matter. You know, so fast forward, all right? Fast forward a couple years from Capernaum to Jerusalem. Now it's been a couple years since Capernaum took place, and now we're in Jerusalem. Now, at this point, I just want to give you a heads up. As parents, I want to give you a heads up. If you're watching this message with, with young children, I just want to let you know that the next few minutes, I'm going to share some things that are, are, are a little bit graphic, okay? Just, just be aware of that. We're now in Jerusalem. The time has come for Jesus to be crucified, Within a matter of hours after he's arrested, Jesus is tried and convicted. And Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of Judea, uh, gives in to the demands of the Jews and sentences Jesus to be crucified. But before he's crucified, he gives him up according to John 19. He hands Jesus over to be flogged. Here's John 19.1. Now, Pilate didn't do the dirty work himself. He didn't do the flogging himself. His underlings did it for him. That was their job. He just gave the order. And, and they knew exactly how to flog someone. They knew exactly how to do it. Here's how someone was flogged by the Roman government. First, the victim was stripped completely naked, partially to elevate the humiliation. And, and by the way, flogging was such a humiliating, degrading form of Roman punishment that Roman citizens were exempted from it. If you were a Roman citizen, you would never be flogged. But if you weren't, 
that was one of the punishments that you could be subjected to if you committed a crime. And so the victim would be stripped of all of his clothes, and then the victim would be tied to a two-foot-high post. A picture, imagine, picture this being done to Jesus. His hands and wrists are then secured and shackled to a metal ring over his head to keep him from squirming around so that when the whip comes down, he won't be moving around. And then the torturer would take his whip, which, which in Latin was called the flagellum or a flagrum. And the flagrum wasn't just a, 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 made out of leather straps. It wasn't just a leather strap. <clears throat> it was made up of three strands of straps, each perhaps as long as three feet each, and, <clears throat> and attached to the end of each strand were pieces of metal or bone designed to lacerate the skin. It might have looked something like this. And then the Roman soldier would commence with the blows. According to Mosaic law, up to 40 lashes could be administered, but not more than that. And that's all spelled out in Deuteronomy 25, verse 3. 40 stripes may be given him, but not more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. According to tradition, Jesus received 39 lashes. And when the flagrum came down on Jesus' back, the, the straps would wrap around his torso, and then when it was jerked back, it would violently, violently rip out chunks of his flesh. Here's what church historian Eusebius said about the horrors of scourging. He said, quote, For they say that the bystanders were struck with amazement when they saw them lacerated with scourges even to the innermost veins and arteries so that the hidden inward parts of the body, both their bowels and their members, were exposed to view. When the torture was finished, the victim's back, buttocks, legs, stomach, chest, face were bloodied and mangled so that the victim would be almost unrecognizable. In fact, Isaiah prophesied what Jesus would look like after he was flogged. Isaiah 52 verse 14, it says, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. I mean, he was literally unrecognizable. And if that wasn't bad enough, after Jesus was flogged, and it's a wonder he survived that, he then had to walk to the place of the skull, which was just outside the city, carrying partway the crossbeam on which he would be crucified. And then after he arrived, Roman soldiers laid him on the cross, and I can only imagine how excruciating with your skin raw and torn and was blood everywhere to be placed on a, a slab of wood with splinters and who knows what else. And then these huge spikes were driven into his, in, into his hands and his feet as he undoubtedly screamed in anguish. Here's Isaiah's description about the crucifixion. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Why? He was crushed for our iniquities. Why? 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Why upon him? With his wounds, we are healed. Why? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why? Were they all laid on him? Why? It was so that they wouldn't have to be laid on us. And he was pierced so that you wouldn't have to be pierced. And he was crushed so that I wouldn't have to be crushed. And he was wounded so that we wouldn't have to be wounded. You see, that's why we matter. That's why we matter because Jesus suffered and died for our sins. He took the punishment for our sins. And the reason we know that we matter is because of this incredible gift that God gave to us, his suffering and his death. Now, on a side note, this is so fascinating. On a side note, one of the men who was present at the crucifixion was a Roman centurion. This is not the same guy. It's a different one, a different centurion, not the same one we met in Capernaum. Now, it's very possible that it was this Roman centurion's job to supervise the entire execution because he had, a centurion had at least 100 soldiers working under him. He was the one that gave them commands and he was the one that issued the orders. And while this particular Roman centurion was there, something happened to him. Something happened to him at the crucifixion site. His heart started to change. God got a hold of him. Maybe it was because he overheard the conversation between Jesus and the thief on the cross as they were hanging there. Maybe he overheard that conversation when the thief said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or remember what Jesus said back to the thief? He replied, today you will be with me in paradise. Maybe he overheard that conversation, or maybe it was right after they pounded those nails into Jesus' hands and feet. Remember what he said right after they pounded him and they crucified him? Maybe he overheard Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Or maybe it was because the very moment Jesus took his last breath, the sun didn't shine, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. Whatever it was, whatever it was, the centurion's heart was changed in an instant, in an instant, because, and we know that because right after Jesus died, here's what he said. Mark 15, verse 39. It says, and when the centurion who stood facing him, he was looking at the cross, he was looking at Jesus he saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, the centurion said, truly, this man was the son of God. Truly, he was the son of God, and he really was. 
the very individual who may have been the one to give the orders to crucify Jesus, to drive those nails into his hands and his feet, and to raise that crucifixion pole and place it in the crucifixion hole, that very man, possibly that very man, came to faith in Jesus. And this is one of the most remarkable conversion stories in the Bible that we seldom ever hear about. And here's what's interesting. According to tradition, after his conversion, the centurion, the Roman centurion, left the military, was baptized by one of the disciples, went back, presumably to his country, or maybe even to Rome, went back to his country and spent the rest of his life telling others about Jesus. And then... At the end of his life, he was martyred for his faith. Now, we don't know that to be uh, exactly what happens. We don't know that to be certain. But that is the tradition. That is the story that has been handed down for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. That that's what happened to the Roman centurion. And I love this story. I love this story because it reminds me that even people who are far from God, God, they matter to him. Even people who are far from God, they matter to God. See, no matter how far away you are from God, you matter to Him. No matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, you matter to Him. No matter how broken you are, you matter to Him. No matter how messed up you are, you matter to Him. Even if you're sick, you matter to Him. It doesn't matter what kind of a disability you have, you matter to Him. It doesn't matter how old you are, you matter to Him. It doesn't matter what political party you belong to. You matter to God. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. You matter to God. And because people matter to God, here's your final point. People ought to matter to us, right? We matter to God, therefore people matter to us. You know, as I was writing this message on Thursday, talking about how people matter, it was Thursday afternoon, I thought about my 93-year-old mom who was locked down in a skilled nursing home in, in Los Angeles. My brother and I saw her for the first time in eight months, about two or three weeks ago. And, um, and my heart breaks for her uh, because she feels all alone. I heard she was crying today wanting to go home. Uh, other than our recent visit and uh, our calls, um, she hasn't seen any family members um, and friends, she used to be part of a Tuesday life group here at our church. I know she misses all those ladies there. All the activities in their home have been completely cut back or completely curtailed because they can't let anyone into the facility. And I know that her health is slowly declining. And I can't help but wonder whether she thinks she matters. So in the middle of writing this message, I stopped everything I was doing. I just picked up the phone and I gave her a call. It was so good to hear her voice. And she told me that she's getting more forgetful. And I told her that I was getting more forgetful too. And then she says, well, and, and then she told me that she's getting old. And I said, well, I'm getting old too. And when I reminded her of how old she was, I am, she laughed and I laughed. I didn't think it was that funny. But we all laughed. And then we ended the call. I ended the call by telling her that I loved her. And then she told me that she loved me. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you told your mom or your dad that you loved them? 
When was the last time you told your grown-up son or daughter that you love them? When was the last time you just went up to a total stranger and you expressed kindness to them simply because they matter to God, therefore they matter to you? I'm going to close by showing you this video. It was posted by a guy named Rick Lax um, about a little guy named Xander. Xander is having a, a tough time. You know, and I, I hear, I'm hearing a lot, this a lot lately. Kids are having a really tough time. But Xander's having a tough time. He was having a bad day. He was kind of, de- kind of depressed because it was his birthday. But because of COVID, can't have a birthday party, can't see his friends, can't do any of those things. I want you to take a look at what happened.
Did you need a tissue for that one too? You know what's good? You know what's good? In this dark and cold world we're living in, what's good is that there's still some people who tell others, who think that others matter. Church, let's be that kind of church. Let's be those kinds of people. This week, I want to challenge you to tell somebody else that they matter. Better yet, show them that they matter by your actions. And a good place to start is right at home. Right with the people that God has put under your roof. Tell them that they matter. Show them that they matter. And then this week in our staff, we were putting our heads together about what we're going to do for Christmas. And we came up with this idea that we want to do like a blessing box. So it's kind of like a Christmas blessing project. And what we're going to do is we're going to go out and get thousands of these little boxes. They'll all be about the same size. We're going to get thousands of these things. And we're going to make two boxes available to each and every family. And so we're going to have to, we'll, you'll, we'll tell you more about this in a couple weeks because uh, we're trying to figure out all the logistics, but we're going to make, we want to give every family two boxes, every individual two boxes. And then we want you to take those two boxes and this is going to be your blessing box and we want you to fill it with your favorite snacks. We don't want you to spend a lot of money on it. You don't need to put anything in, you know, expensive in there, just your favorite snacks and maybe a note just telling the person you're going to give it to that they matter. And then we want you to give one of those boxes to somebody in our church. Give it to somebody in our church. And then we want you to take the other box and we want you to give it to someone who doesn't know God. Someone who, maybe someone who's having a really rough time. It could be a complete stranger. Maybe it's a homeless person you see on the street and you want to just give them a blessing box. That'll be their Christmas present. I want to, I want to mobilize our entire church to be a blessing to others because everyone around us they matter, but so many people don't know that. So what's good? What's good? You're good. You're good because you matter no matter what. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the sacrifices that your son made. And I don't know that we can even begin to wrap our heads around the level, the degree to which Jesus suffered so that we wouldn't have to. And Lord, because of what he did, we matter. And because we matter in your eyes, I pray that you would help us to do everything we can to help those around us make them feel like they matter. Use South Bay Community Church to be a vessel, to be a, a tool, to let other people know that they matter. Let me just say one thing too. I, I just need to stop right here. If you're listening, maybe for the first time or for the 10th time, and you've never come to faith in Jesus like that Roman centurion why don't you do that today Jesus died suffered and died on a cross for your sins so that you wouldn't have to today why don't you say to him Jesus thank you for suffering and dying on a cross for me I put my faith in you 
I put my trust in you. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sins. Thank you for dying for me. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. Say that to him today. And your life will change just like that Roman centurion. Well, Father, we love you for who you are, for what you've done for us. Again, in this very dark and cold world, let us be the light that shines so brightly so that as we, as we communicate and tell others that we matter because of what you did for us and people matter. Help us to express that and not just, not just in December, but every day, every month. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name.